Good evening, everyone. So welcome back to the second night of our mission on prayer. Uh, I want to begin tonight's talk with a prayer, particularly because, I don't know, I've been working on this talk all day, I've been praying about it, I woke up at 5 o'clock this morning to work on it, but I'm not too sure if I'm going to be able to pull it together, if it's going to make sense, so we're going to pray to the Holy Spirit to inspire me to make sense, to inspire you all to understand whatever comes out of my mouth, because there's some truth there, but I don't really think it's going to make enough sense until tomorrow, so maybe if you don't understand, if you come back tomorrow, it's a good incentive. So why don't we start? In the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, as we continue on this Lenten journey, you to pour your Spirit upon me in particular, that I may speak well of the gift of prayer, particularly of the need to be open to receiving the love of the Father, the gift of the Spirit, inspire all of those here. We're very thankful that they came out tonight to grow deeper in their prayer life and to hear the word uh, that speaks to their heart. Special way we ask the intercession of Our Lady, so integral to what I'll be talking about tonight as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I'm going to do a very brief recap of what we talked about last night in case either A, you weren't here, or B, you forgot what I said. Basically, we begin by looking at that struggle that so many of us face of being discouraged in our prayer because we feel that we're not doing enough, that our prayer is not good enough, the Lord may not be listening to our prayers. And so we realize that the reason for this frustration uh, is because we often see prayer more as doing something than being with the Lord. And that if we could change our attitude and just learn to waste time with Christ, waste time with the Lord, we can be more open and receptive to the love of God the Father. And that's what prayer is. We don't need to impress God we just need to be in his presence. And so the homework I gave was try and waste time with Jesus, maybe in a holy hour or at your particular time of prayer. What I want to do today is begin by looking at another struggle that I hear a lot of people have in prayer. Again, I can go through a lot of different struggles, but this is one along with that feeling discouraged also leads to discouragement, but from a different perspective. So if I were to go and ask the average Christian or the average Catholic, give me a definition of prayer. Most people would say, at least from my experience, that prayer is a conversation with God, speaking with the Lord. And this is a good and valid definition. In fact, it's what St. Teresa of Avila talks about. Prayer is that conversation with a good friend. And I'm not saying that this is not a true definition. In fact, you're going to see, I think it is a true definition. But so often, it poses problems for people and can often lead them to get discouraged. And this is it. Because so often when we see prayer as a conversation, 
We wonder, or we maybe think in the back of our minds, well, all right, I'm talking, but I want to hear God talk. I want to hear His voice. You know, well, I can have a conversation with you, and I'm speaking, you're speaking, we can see each other, we can hear each other. But how many of you in here have ever heard the voice of God or had a conversation with Him in the same way, let's say, you'd have a conversation with me? Again, maybe you don't want to raise your hands, but I would figure a lot of people haven't. Maybe they talk about, well, prayer is conversation with God, but they realize, well, I don't really have a conversation. It's more of a monologue. I'm sitting there talking, 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 I don't hear anything from God. And so it's frustrating. How many of you have ever been frustrated by that? Raise your hand. All right, look at that. We get some amens in here. Everybody else, once again, is a saint and a mystic. That's how it goes. But usually, if you say, oh yeah, I hear God's voice all the time, he speaks to me. They're going to say, well, maybe it's time to go visit the psychiatrist. But most of us, though, just don't hear God's voice or experience prayer as a conversation in the same way we experience conversations in our own life. We talk and we say, we listen, but we don't hear anything. It's like speaking into the darkness, and so we can get very discouraged. We might still press on, but we're, where's the Lord's voice? Maybe we feel or hear his voice in our heart, but we, how do you know it's really God's voice? How do you know he's speaking? And so often we can confuse our own desires and wishes with what we think God is saying. But then it's even worse when you're talking to a friend and you say, oh, the friend says, God told me this in prayer, or I've been listening and God said this in prayer. And you're like, well, is he speaking to them? I'm listening really, really hard. But I don't hear anything. And so it just compounds the frustration and makes it worse. So, I'm not trying to contradict Teresa of Avila. She's a saint. I'm not. But I think a lot of the times, at least in our culture, using this terminology of prayer as a conversation is probably not the most effective. And you say, well, Father, didn't you say yesterday that prayer wasn't a technique but a relationship? And people in relationships have conversations. Aren't conversations necessary for relationships to grow? And yes, they are, but what I want to do is propose something else. Another way of looking at it and maybe another way of explaining or understanding conversation in a more deep and maybe fundamental way. I'm going to quote, to explain this, I'm going to quote that sister that I quoted a lot yesterday, Sister Ruth Burroughs, from her book, The Essence of Prayer. It's not a very long quote, but I think it gets to the heart of what I want to use as the theme for our discussion tonight, to help us become more comfortable and overcome this discouragement in prayer. She says, Christian prayer is nothing other than being present to God, we talked about yesterday, so that God can give to us. The only thing that matters is that we believe this and stay there, regardless of how we feel or we don't feel. I suggest that the most profound expression we can give to faith is to set aside an inviolable time each day, no matter how short, 
when we each deliberately affirm God's absolute love for us now, here, and stay there in blind, trusting faith, receiving it. That's the key term here. Receiving. Receptivity. Of receiving the Lord's love. Of receiving His grace, His mercy. And so, this is the key for understanding it. It's not so much a reception of a word, but a reception of the heart. Much deeper. That we, if we're going to really grow in prayer, we have to be able to understand that the Lord wants to converse with us, but at a much deeper level. Let's say that heart level. But He wants to give us things. He wants to give us His love, give us His grace, give us His mercy. And we are there to receive it. That our fundamental attitude in prayer should, yes, to be with the Lord, but to be receptive to what He wants to give to us. Actually, though, ultimately, receiving not only grace, receiving His love, but actually receiving Him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That just as we talked about yesterday, the error we can get into is we're all about doing, 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 doing. But so often in prayer, we can say, we're going to give, 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 give. No. The primary giver in prayer is God. He's the one who initiates. Our attitude ought to be one of receptivity. More than listening receiving. Does that make sense? It's on a much deeper level than the ear. It's the receptivity in the heart. And so the more we learn to be and to receive, to open up our hearts and our being to receive the Lord, the more the Lord will act and transform our lives. Now again, as I said yesterday, I gave that little warning I didn't, that, that, that being in prayer is not just taking a nap. In the same way, if we are talking about receiving in prayer, it doesn't mean that we don't give. We've got to bring the Lord our prayers, our intentions, even though He knows our hearts. But our primary duty in prayer is not to give, but more about receiving from Him. It's not prayer is one thing but the other. It's more about receiving than about giving. But so often we get caught up in doing and giving and we forget that the one who initiates this relationship, the one who initiates the conversation of the heart is going to be the Lord and not us. But because it's a conversation and it goes back and forth, once we've received, then guess what? We can give back. We can speak our word. But so often, we want to jump the gun. It becomes that monologue, we're talking, we're giving, instead of saying, Lord, I'm here to receive. You give to me. Allowing Him to initiate in His love, in His, in his grace, and His mercy that He gives to us, and then we can return that gift. So this idea of receptivity in prayer, conversation, being a back and forth but not listening like we would in a conversation here, but learning a conversation of the heart, of that giving and receiving of love and grace. 
Now, we can understand that, and I'm going to speak a truth now, something that probably more than anything else I say, if we're going to get you to agree with me, this would be it. How many of you find it easier in your relationship with other people to give rather than to receive? Raise your hand. Yeah, most people find it that way. Oh, Father, I love to give. It's much easier. It's difficult a lot of the times for us to receive. Our experience bears that out. We can give gifts, we can give love. Christmas time is wonderful because we can go show all this love and give these gifts to everyone. But all of a sudden, when someone says, I want to give you something, service, a kind word, a gesture of love, a gift, even though we're maybe willing to receive it, kind of become uncomfortable, like we're not worthy. We sort of begin to shake. This is true in human relationships, and whenever we're on the receiving end, we can become very, very uncomfortable, but it's also very, very true in our relationship with the Lord. And I'm going to give you a perfect example of it. It's one of my favorite passages. It's from the Last Supper. Remember when Jesus is going and washing the feet of the apostles? And he goes to wash Peter's feet, to give Peter something, to serve him, this gesture of love. What does Peter say? Oh, no, Lord. You ain't washing my feet. I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter and Jesus says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you are not going to have a share. And so Peter, of course, allows the Lord to wash his feet. Peter is like us. We're willing to do all kinds of things for Jesus. We're willing to be in control of our prayer, but when the Lord wants to wash our feet, when he wants to show us love, when he wants to give us his grace, oh, it becomes very, very difficult. Just like it is in a normal human relationship. And there are a number of reasons why. One is the main thing, we like to be in control. When I am giving, I am in control. I get to choose the gift. I decide how much it costs, I decide who gets it, I decide when you get it, I'm in control. So giving is pretty easy. A lot of the times though, even if that's not it, we really feel unworthy. I'm not worthy of this gift, it's so much, we feel uncomfortable. Instead of realizing that the person who's giving it to us, we should honor them by saying thank you for this gift. Maybe we're not worthy, but if the Lord's choosing to give it to us, particularly when it comes to prayer, and he figures we're going to be able to use it for some good. But the real reason is this, and I'm going to kind of go off a lot on this, and it's something to reflect on, and I think it's important for all of us. The real reason so many of us have a hard time receiving, or we prefer to give than to receive, is because we're scared to be vulnerable. Vulnerability. That's the key word. Some of my students would hear, they'd be laughing at me because I talk about it a lot. Uh, It's something that is kind of a hot topic right now in psychology and in counseling. And I began to notice it in talking and doing spiritual direction with students that they really struggle with vulnerability, of dropping their guards, of receiving love, of allowing people to love them. And so I was talking to one of my directees who said, you know, Father, you sound just like this woman called Brene Brown. It's like Renee with a B, and the last name is Brown. How many of you ever heard of Brene Brown? 
Look at that, we got a few people. She became very famous a few years ago. She gave an internet talk called uh, On Vulnerability, The Art of Vulnerability. I forgot exactly what it was called. And it got millions of views. And I got her a book contract and she's written a number of different books on vulnerability. The one that I really suggest is called Daring Greatly. It's a very, very beautiful book and I've given it to a lot of the students and it's helped them a lot because it talks about, or she talks about, that gift and the necessity of being vulnerable, of accepting our weakness and allowing others to love us. But why is vulnerability so hard? We're gonna get into a lot of it in the next few moments, but if you just look at the word, you'll understand why vulnerability is hard. The word vulnerability or vulnerable comes from the root word vulnus in Latin. V-U-L-N-U-S. And what does vulnus mean? It means a wound. A wound. So a person who is vulnerable is able to be wounded. Able to be hurt. Don't have armor up. There are no defenses that are exposed, vulnerable, able to be hurt. So that's why no one likes to be vulnerable. Because nobody wants to get hurt. And quite often, maybe we've been hurt before. And even if we haven't been hurt before, we don't want to get hurt now or in the future. And so as a result, we run away from vulnerability in relationships with other people, but also in relationship with the Lord. We avoid vulnerability. And it's a natural instinct, self-preservation. We don't want to get hurt. We want to preserve ourselves. It's written into our very nature. Most often, we don't like to be vulnerable because we've been hurt in the past. Something from our childhood, a betrayal, a friend, a spouse, resentment, a child, whatever it is, we've been hurt. And sometimes we feel that we've been hurt by God. We've all experienced it, either in our own lives or with others. I'm mad at God. He took this person from me. He allowed this evil thing to happen. He hurt me. We get mad at God thinking that he hurts us. And so what happens is we end up walling up. But for Brene Brown, her big thing about why we, are vul we, we don't like vulnerability is because of shame. Shame is a complex thing. This is usually... Guilt is you're sorry for something you've done. Shame is you're sorry for it. You're ashamed of who you are. And it could have been because of something that happened to us. Quite often sexual abuse will create shame. Sexual sins from the past will create shame. Mistakes that we've made. The skeletons we keep in the closet. And so we allow shame to take over. And we don't want anyone to see who we really are because we figure they're going to reject us. Or they might see us as unlovable or as dirty. And so we hide. That's like going back to Genesis chapter 3. After Adam and Eve ate from the apple, what does the story tell us? They hid themselves. They were shameful. They didn't want God to see them. They wanted to hide. And so that's sort of what we talked about yesterday. Whenever we sin or we're broken, we want to hide from the Lord instead of running there to be with him and to bathe in his mercy. And so, the core of it, it's all about fear. We're scared of being hurt. 
We're scared of being betrayed. We're scared of being exposed or shamed. And so what happens is because of that, and things that, that normally the, 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 the shame and the vulnerability starts on human relationships, sometimes it's on the divine relationship, we begin to put up walls. Some of us have thick walls, some of us have thin walls. If you like science fiction and Star Trek, you have a force field instead of walls. It's up to you. They can be on your backside, your front side, whatever it is. We put up our defenses. We refuse to be vulnerable. Now, if I have walls, guess what? I can control what goes out of the walls. I can send food out. I can send emissaries out. I can send flaming arrows out. We control that. The walls, nobody gets in. Nobody gets in. And so we still maintain that control. We don't let anyone in. And so what happens is if we're not vulnerable, we don't learn to drop our, our, our guards. Not all the time. There are certain people you do not want to be vulnerable around that will hurt you, that will manipulate you. But if you don't learn to do it, and take the walls down in the proper situations, guess what? You can't receive. You can give, give, give. A lot of the most generous people. Oh, look how holy that person is. Well, that's a person who's very, very broken. They'll give, give, give. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it, but you try to give them something, you expose them, and they are going to fight back. The walls will come up even higher. And so, when we refuse to receive from others, whether it be gifts or love or compliments, or someone's very self, what ends up happening? Relationships break down. Whether it be relationships with family and friends, we all know people who aren't vulnerable. You try to love them, you try to give them something, and they fight back. What ends up happening, though, it can also happen with the Lord. We refuse to let the Lord in. We refuse to be open to the movement of the Spirit, the movement of His love, and what is that happens? Our heart becomes very hard. That core of our being, if it's not infused with love, if we're not affirmed, if we don't receive grace, it begins to atrophy. And it gets very, very hard. It doesn't mean that the Lord can't transform it, but it's He wants to give, what is I'm going to give you new hearts. I'm going to replace the stony hearts that you have. And why do you have those hearts? Because of the walls we put around it. For other people and from God. So the thing is, is if we want to grow in prayer, and prayer is about receiving gifts from the Lord, receiving the love from the Father, we are going to have to take the risk to be wounded. You're going to have to take the risk to be vulnerable. Because that is sort of the irony. If you don't drop the walls, you can't receive love. You can't be transformed. And this can have a very, very big impact in the way we treat others and the way we let, allow others to treat us, but also in our spiritual life. We won't let the Lord close. We're very, very closed off. And we don't know or live in the love of the Father. And so, as I said, we become much more isolated and our heart can shut down. But if we are going to give and receive love, it means that we are going to have to be vulnerable. Otherwise, the heart can't function. And so I'm going to sort of sum this up with a great quote from C.S. Lewis. Many of you know him. 
he wrote the screw tape letters and uh, the, what is it? The, what does it say? Mere Christianity. And he has this one quote which is so beautiful. And he talks about love. And love, of course, is giving, but more love is receiving. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Stay busy. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. So that's the thing is, in our, in our normal life, if you're not even spiritual, this is going to be true. But particularly if we're here interested in growing in prayer, and knowledge of the love of the Lord, and learning to be with Him and receive His love, we're going to have to take the risk to be loved and to love, or else our hearts will calcify. And we ain't going to be any good for anybody. And so that is the key. In growing in receptivity, of being receptive of the Lord in prayer, that, that real key, that second step, the first one is learning to be, the second is learning to receive, Vulnerability is the first and most important step. So how do we learn vulnerability? This is the difficult thing. You can read Brene Brown's book, and she's going to give you some hints, but basically, you just got to learn to do it. You got to let down the drawbridge. But I can give you a few things that at least maybe you could think about that sort of tie into that. Where do we learn as Christians that vulnerability? of dropping down the walls so that we can receive, particularly receiving love in others. Who's the most vulnerable person? Jesus. The crucifix is vulnerability, able to be wounded. He's got no armor. He's got no sword in his hand. He is completely exposed. The reality is, is becoming man himself and doing that in the incarnation, he all of a sudden became vulnerable. The baby is pretty vulnerable. And throughout his life, he opened his heart to love others, but he let others love him. Real, genuine friendships, the love shared with his mother that was so intimate. He didn't close himself off. He was a real human. Most importantly, we know he opened himself up to receive that love from the Father. But it was on the cross that he showed us, we always say it, we always say, this is love, look at the cross. It's self-gift. Yeah, it's self-gift, but it's also vulnerability. And what happened? The spear in the side. It pierced his heart. So we're going to really be conformed to Jesus, and the, and the cross is, is Christ's ultimate sacrifice and prayer. We're going to have to learn to do that too. I'll also argue, and this could be a whole other talk, that the way Christ is really the most vulnerable is not as a baby, not on the cross, but in the Eucharist. He really can't defend himself. Maybe he can shoot lasers out of the Eucharist to kill you if you come after him, but he generally doesn't do that. That was a joke. Jesus is not going to kill you in the Eucharist. But he's defenseless. He can't do anything. People can commit sacrilege. That's that vulnerability. And he gives himself to us. And so it's in his life, and we meditate on it, we learn what it means to be vulnerable, 
particularly on the cross. The second thing is sort of that theme I talked about last night. We are going to learn how to be with the Lord by learning how to be with other people. The Lord is not going to give us a textbook. He, he wants us to learn by doing. And what he does is he, we learn by doing with other people. He, he communicates his love to us. He communicates his grace. And that teaches us how to do that when we are in prayer with him. So most the most prayerful people that I know, I'm going to be very honest, the most prayerful people that I know are the most vulnerable, are the most open to being hurt, are the ones who are the best at receiving others, receiving love, receiving gifts, and receiving the Lord. Of course, they have boundaries. They're not going to just throw themselves out and, and open themselves up to complete strangers, but there is something beautiful there that translates into a deep prayer life. And so what we need to do is find people we trust, a safe place, people that we know that we can receive from, that will give, that are not going to betray us, that we could drop our walls, allow them to love us, allow them into our lives. And often to be vulnerable means I'm not perfect. I got a lot of skeletons in my closet, but I need you to love me anyhow. And that's the real vulnerability. People, you don't even need to tell them. They know how goofy you are. They know what you've done, but they love you anyhow. That helps to tear down the walls. It's the little baby steps. All right, well, if, if this person knows what I've done and knows how weak I am and still loves me and, and is not trying to kill me, well, then I can maybe try it with another person, ultimately with Lord. The Lord is going, these people are going to love us no matter what we do, that we can show them and expose ourselves and they will still love us. And the third thing is this is the best place. If you want like the super condensed version of this that brings together the encounter with Christ's mercy and vulnerability and with another person, what is it? It's confession. Why do you think people are so scared of confession? Because they're scared of being vulnerable. Here you're going to either a complete stranger or someone you know and saying, here's all the terrible stuff that I've done. And there's so much shame a lot of the times. And I've seen that. People are afraid, well, I don't want to tell Father because he's going to judge me. Father's going to look at me different. I have one of the students who tells the story, you know, and so I'm not breaking the seal of confession. She tells the story. You know, she had done some stuff she was very shameful of. I didn't even remember this. She comes to confession, and I said, and she's so ashamed of being so vulnerable. And I said, Listen, there is nothing you could say or nothing you could do to make me love you any less. And this is someone I love a lot. She's one of my absolute favorites. And nothing you could do to make me love you any less. And the same way me doing that to you is the Lord using me as an instrument to say, hey, sweetie, no matter what you do, I'm there to forgive you. I'm there to receive you. It's okay to be vulnerable. We never use that as an excuse for sin. We don't want to take the Lord's mercy for granted. But receiving that transforms. So if you want to do, remember you were a kid, you're like, I'm sick. And the doctor says, okay, you can take the penicillin for two weeks or you can take the shot in the butt and you'll be well in a day. Most people, I, I don't want that I, Most people are like, I want the pills. I said, give me that shot. I want to be, I want to be done with it. It's going to hurt. 
but it, it, it works wonders. Going to confession, that is for a Catholic the best way to learn to be vulnerable. Now, what happens is then the weakness, the walls come down, we're exposed in our own humanity, in our own weakness, in our own shame, whatever it is. But as we talked about yesterday, that's the time to go to the Lord. That's the time the prayer could potentially be the best because we're there in our poverty. Remember the, the, the example that Jesus gives of the publican and uh, the, 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 the Pharisee? The guy is like, oh, Lord, look how great I am. Look at all this great stuff. And there's the other guy who just goes up and he's hanging his head down. Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. The Lord heard the second guy's prayer because he was praying out of his poverty, out of his weakness. And so the Lord could fill him up. And so it's here when we drop, when we have our guards up, that, that's possibly pride, it's possibly more fear and insecurity. When we drop the guards, we admit our weakness, here I am, shoot, aim. Ain't nothing you can do about it. But I'd rather live in the state of vulnerability rather than have a hardened heart and not allow the Lord to love me. And so what happens is, as we put ourselves there, we're empty. And that's going to be that first thing that sort of connects us to what we talked about last night. To learn to be receptive, you've got to have a receptacle. You've got to have something that is able to receive. But if you're so filled up, or, or, or your, your reservoir is walled over, no water can go into it. You can't fill it up. We've got to be exposed. And so here we are in our own brokenness. Lord, fill me up. Great. Father, learn how to be vulnerable. How then do you learn to be receptive? More than just saying, hey, Lord, I want to receive. How do we learn to do that? And the truth is, as much as I thought about it, I don't think it's as easy as learning to be with the Lord. Just be with him. Because that's pretty easy. It may fidget a little bit, but I'm not going to explain that much. All right? Go to the chapel. Sit down for 15 minutes. Just be there. Let the Lord work on you. People can handle that. But if I say, hey, go be receptive in prayer. Go be receptive with other people. Well, how do I do that? Again, just like I said with vulnerability, I can't spell out exactly how to do it. I can't spell out how to do it. Be receptive. Probably the best thing that we could all learn is find the person who is the most vulnerable in a healthy way, the person who's the most receptive, and say, show me what you do. Give me some advice. And so sort of what I have here is advice that I've gotten from other people. The first thing, and this is going to sound nice and pious, but who is the most receptive person, human person, ever to live and ever will live? Want to take a guess? Who? Not Jesus. Jesus is a divine person. Mary, our lady. Our lady's the most receptive. Now, of course, she wasn't broken, but she still understood her poverty in a much deeper way. That's the Magnificat. Our Lady was such that perfect receptacle that she could be the receptacle for Jesus, the Son of God, open to the Holy Spirit. That's because of her sinlessness and her fiat. Be it done unto me according to thy word. I'm here. Do what you need to do. Completely receptive. And that's how the Lord could work in her life. Not only there, but all of her life echoed that as she pondered things in her heart receiving the Lord's grace and prayer and her encounter with Jesus. 
and how she received her son's love. She let Jesus love her. It's a beautiful mystery. But the place that we see her is the most receptive is going to be where? It's going to be at the cross. And she had to say, nothing I can do. But particularly not at the cross, but receiving her son's body. That's a great meditation. I was in Rome for five years and studying, and I, and I gave a lot of tours to St. Peter's. And of course, you go to St. Peter's, what do you see? You see Michelangelo's Pietà, a beautiful statue. And I, I had to be, try to be creative in giving tours. There's one thing that always struck me. You know the Pietà, there's Mary, and she's holding Jesus in his dead body. She's just received him from the cross. There's one hand that's holding Jesus, the other hand is open. Open hand. And I've always said, that is the symbol of Mary's receptivity. If we're not, if we're, if we're, ha we're refuse to be vulnerable or receptive, we're holding. I got it. But if you open your hand, here, here's a receptacle. The gesture of Our Lady's receptivity. And so, the most important thing we could probably do is say, Mary, in our prayers, in our rosary, in our being with the Lord, help me to be receptive as you are receptive. Help me open my heart, my being, so that I can go deeper in prayer. That my prayer, which needs to be receptivity of the Lord, because He's the main giver, and you're there to receive. Teach me how to do it. Our Lady will do that. That's what we believe. The second, as I said about vulnerability, we can learn how to do it, to be receptive of what the Lord wants to give to us by learning to receive gifts from other people. And those human relationships. Again, we've already learned about vulnerability. We drop the wall. But the Lord wants to give us things. His love, His mercy, His kindness, His word, His whatever. And He often is going to mediate it. But if we don't know how to receive from others, if we get nervous and insecure, it's not going to work. To be able to receive and say, the hard, what's the hardest words for people to say? Besides, I'm sorry. That's the hardest. Thank you. To learn to say, I'm really thankful for that particular compliment. How many of you have ever done that? Someone gives you a compliment, and you're like, I do it all the time. Oh, no, I'm not that good. Oh, no, you should be giving that to someone else. Our response should be, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Maybe I'm not worthy about it, but give back. Give that gratitude. And that's where we learn to do that with the Lord. When the Lord gives us our gratitude, thank you. Receive, I'm going to take the gift. Don't look the gift horse in the mouth. That doesn't really apply here. But what is the greatest gift in the spiritual life that we can receive? And it is a gift that we've all received, whether we like that or not. What do you think that is? Huh? I can't hear, I can't. Baptism, what do you get at baptism? The Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. That's the great gift of God that He pours out that we believe we received at baptism and confirmation. So there is that receptivity, but the problem is, for so many of us, we received it, and, it's, and I always say, it's like, it's like when you got married, you got all these gifts, you got oh, some really nice china you use, but you got the fondue pot, and you just kind of st stuck it somewhere in the shelf. The Holy Spirit is the, the, the fondue pot of our spiritual lives. We've been given the gift, but we don't want to use it. We don't want to use it. 
The other analogy I like to use, I thought I had originally come up with it, but someone told me that I didn't, and it shows me that I'm not that creative. It was like, you, you wear a glass of milk, and then whenever, when you're born, but when you're baptized, Jesus pours some Hershey's chocolate syrup in there. What do you got to do? So got St. Paul says you got to fan it into flame, you got to stir it up. Because if you don't stir it up, what is that Hershey's chocolate syrup going to do? It's going to sit at the bottom of the glass. And so your whole life is like, I'm drinking this milk, and then all of a sudden, at the end of your life, you're like, oh, bro, there's some chocolate milk, cho chocolate down there. I missed out on that. We missed out on the life of the Spirit because we had it, but we didn't fan it into flames. Well, that's the whole key. The Spirit is described as the love shared between the Father and the Son. He's the one that connects that conversation. He's integral to it, and we've been given it to him. And so we need to talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy, just as Mary was receptive, become more receptive to a deeper outpouring of the Spirit, fanning into flame that was given to us, because that's how the Lord is going to really transform us. It's that response to the gift of the Spirit. Who is love? He's the one that helps that heart-to-heart -heart conversation. Helps us to learn to receive. And I think that one of the best prayers, and we're going to kind of talk about this tomorrow, is to ask the Holy Spirit to expand our hearts so we can receive more. Because let's say you have two, let's say, receptacles. One's a gallon, one's a quart. And you fill them both to the top. They're both full, absolutely. But one can hold a lot more. And so we want to say, Lord, yeah, I want to receive what you give, give to me in prayer. And I want my heart to be bigger. I want my receptacle to be bigger. And he will. And so the Holy Spirit, if we allow him, with the intercession of Mary and working with other people and going to confession, the walls hopefully will begin tumbling down. Maybe not all at once. Maybe little bit by little bit it comes down. But the Holy Spirit, if he pulls one brick out, he can get, he can get in there. The Lord can give us something and we can receive. So you've got to say now, all right, Father, this is all wonderful. You've rambled on for 40 minutes. What does receiving from the Lord look like? We've learned how to be vulnerable. We've learned how we might be able to be more receptive to the Lord's gifts and prayer, his love, his very self. What does it look like? And the truth is, and this is for me, it was so hard, it's hard to describe because it's a mystery. It's going to be... Hopefully by tomorrow I can explain to you a little bit better why it's hard to describe, but it is. So I'm going to use my best describing using metaphors, even though you may come away and say, I'm not coming back tomorrow. Father does not know what he's talking about. But again, you're talking about things that are very mysterious. And not that I've necessarily experienced any of this, but I kind of know what it's like. And hopefully I can use it. I might be all over the place here, but at least I think I can describe it. First is this, it's when you go, you go into Grand Isle, and you go into the beach, and you want to get a suntan, or you go to Destin, hopefully you're going to Destin, not to Grand Isle to get the suntan. What are you going to do? You might put some lotion on and stuff, but you're going to sit down there, and you are going to be receptive. You're going to receive the sun. And granted, you've got to like prepare yourself and be there. But do you get a suntan because of anything you do? No. It's what the sun does to you. You receive it. And you're changed and you're transformed. Hopefully not transformed so much that you get like third degree burn and have to go to the hospital. But we can expose ourselves. You're so vulnerable to the rays of the sun. 
So prayer is like that, particularly we talk about like going in front of the Eucharist. It's sunbathing, S-O-N. You ever heard that? It's sunbathing. The Lord is, said, Lord, I'm here to receive. Throw it on me. Give it to me. And he is. And you ask to be more receptive. But this goes, you're not going to actually say that the result's right there. The results are going to be later that night, that night when you're like, oh, look at this little suntan I got. You know, when I go hang out at the, the, the restaurant, everyone's going to be impressed. Unless you got burned on the top of your head because you didn't wear a hat. That's also a difficulty. But what about conversation? Let's go back to that idea. And we said the conversation is the back and the forth, but you don't really hear anything. But Lord still does give. He still does communicate. Except you're probably not going to hear words. And in fact, you're probably not even going to see the impacts right away. And for me, that's what's so important. So often we go to prayer and we say, I'm going to prayer, I want to receive. Give me a word. Inspire me. Highlight the scripture passage. Do something. And what happens is this, we don't hear anything. But the key to this is that often you're not going to hear anything in prayer because you're not necessarily there to hear things in prayer. You're there to be and receive. But the results are going to come later. The results are going to come later. And this is a great quote from St. Therese. Again, she's describing this. She said, never have I heard him speak. So I like that. She's never heard Jesus speak. So St. Therese didn't hear Jesus speak. Don't feel too bad if you haven't heard Jesus speak. But I feel that he is within me at each moment. He is guiding and inspiring me with what I must say and do. I just find when I need the certain lights that I had not seen until then, and it isn't most frequently during my hours of prayer that these are most abundant, but rather in the midst of my daily occupations. So she's like, even when I'm in prayer, I don't hear God's voice, I don't get any insights. It's later. But Therese's argument is, if I didn't sit there in prayer and receive, I wouldn't have had it so it could bear fruit later on. So don't go looking for action in your prayer. You're probably not going to get anything. But when you do go there, and if you learn to be and learn to receive, the Lord's going to do stuff to you and in you that's going to bear fruit later on. Now, I like to use the analogy, and I think everybody here, I, I, I speak to college students, so none of them understand this. Remember when you used to have your car, and you had the radio, and you had that, like, that, that orange dial that would go back and forth? And you're like, would have to spend 10 minutes tuning it in to, you know, 97.3. You wanted to listen to some George Strait. But boy, it was a big fat. It was a big fat one, and then it was a little teeny line. And you finally got it. You pressed the button to make sure it was there. But after you go driving for a while, guess what happened? It all of a sudden, it move over to the KSMB, and you're having to listen to that pop music. Oh, I want to go back to country. This is what it's like. In prayer, we're the radio, and the Lord tunes us into his station. You want to be more contemporary? You're the dish satellite. He's tuning us in. We're tuning in to get the reception. And so what happens when we leave prayer, and we're going out, we're tuned in to the Lord. We can receive those inspirations. We can receive the guidance. That if we weren't there, we would be catching, you know, that AM station that plays that stuff with that weird guy talking about aliens at 2 o'clock in the morning. That's what we'd be on. We'd be all over the place, and the Lord couldn't speak to us. But if we're tuned in, we can hear the Lord's voice. He's going to inspire us and guide us. That's why prayer is important. It's the time that you go get your radio tuned. But as I said, you're not going to hear anything, and chances are you're not going to feel anything. 
You're not going to feel anything in prayer. Maybe sometimes you'll feel the Lord's love. Maybe sometimes you'll feel the warm fuzzies that come with prayer. But most of the time, you're going to be saying, I'm not even praying well. I'm wasting time. I'm not feeling anything. Maybe even darkness will set in. Prayer will become really, really dry. Why am I doing this? You've got to stick it out. Because the Lord is acting, even though you may not see it. Here, I'm going to give another very, very obscure pop culture reference, but someone in here might remember it. How many of you remember the late 60s movie, Fantastic Voyage, where they took the scientists and they made them really small and put them in a submarine and they injected it into the guy and they had to escape the platelets and go kill the cancer or whatever by the heart? How many of you remember that? That's an awesome movie. All right, anyway, video game about that after too, but that's even more obscure. That's what it's like. You're there. You don't feel anything. The guy, the, the guy who was on the, the, the operating table didn't feel anything. The Lord was working in him, sending that little submarine of grace. That's how the Lord works with us. But you don't see the results till after, but you think nothing's happening. But something is happening. You've just got to give it time because it's not us who's doing it. It's the Lord doing it. He's the one. And we're not just laying there, taking a nap. We're not just laying there. It is an active reception. We've got to pray. We've got to say, Lord, I'm, it's hard for me to be receptive. I've been hurt, but I'm trying to do it. Work your magic in my life. G give me this, this, this transformation. And you're going to see the results outside of prayer. And you're going to realize, if I, if I hadn't spent that time in prayer today, receiving the Lord, I may not have been able to love that person who was getting on my nerves. Or to be able to speak that word of consolation to the person who needed it or to have this great insight that completely has changed my spiritual life. You've got to send the time in prayer. But this is where it becomes even more beautiful. So you realize, wow, okay, I'm sitting there, I'm receiving, the Lord's giving me His love, He's giving me His grace. What happens? We become thankful. That should be the first gesture. Lord, thank You for this gift. Thank You for what You've done to me. And then what happens is, Whenever someone gives you that gift and you receive it and you're super excited, what do you want to do? You want to give back. So you allow the Lord to be the primary initiator. You receive the gift, but you say, Lord, I want to give back. I want to give back to you. And it may not be in words, but it's in that movement of the heart. You're just feeling the love. Lord, I'm just giving you my heart. I, I love you. And that's what it is. That's the conversation. It doesn't have to be words. It could be the joy that comes from receiving and that joy of gratitude that goes back. That's a conversation. That's prayer. You don't need to say anything. The Lord knows what's in your heart. And that joy that you feel and that thankfulness is prayer enough. Because you're giving the Lord the love back. That's the conversation that begins. Not in the ears or with the mouth, but something deeper in the heart. But what happens is you're so excited, you're so transformed from that prayer, you're going to start doing it to others. You're going to start saying, I want to give to others. I want to receive from others. I want to change their lives. Help them to be more receptive. So our action should flow from our contemplation, from our prayer, from our encounter with Christ of learning to be receptive. Because you can't give what you haven't received. And so we receive in prayer. We give thanksgiving back to God because there's really nothing you can give to God. He doesn't need anything. He's completing himself. He's happy with your love and your thanksgiving and your very presence. But you can give to other people. And the person who does pray will find that they start having more love to love other people, to give to other people, to be more charitable. 
and to change others' lives. So here's your homework. That's, that's all my reflections for today. It's longer than I thought I'd go. I thought I was going to go about a half an hour. But first of all, I can say, where, where are our walls? We all have them. Where have we built up our strongholds that we won't let others in? Where, where are our parts where we don't want to be vulnerable? Ask the Lord to show you. You probably know it already. If you don't know it already, ask your, you ask your spouse. They'll tell you. Ask your kids. This is where it is. Just don't, don't throw spears at them after you do that. And ask the Lord to begin tearing those walls down. That's the first thing. Like, let, let's get the knowledge of where the walls are. What's stopping us from being receptive? Second, practice that vulnerability with somebody that you trust. Don't go down the street to the CVS and say, hey, I want to tell you about what I did 20 years ago or what I'm feeling in my heart. Some random stranger. That's going to be weird. Don't do that. Someone you know and you trust, someone you're safe with, who will, even a little bit, drop the wall, show your emotions, show your feelings, show that heart, let them see you. Maybe it's in a confession, maybe it's with a friend. Learn, practice that vulnerability and that receptivity with others. If there's somebody who wants to give you a gift or tell you something or share something with you, work on being receptive, like, uh-huh, I'm paying attention, receive what they have to give you, receive what they have to say. And then third, and I, and I think this is a whole different topic, come to Mass tomorrow. I know a lot of y'all came to Mass, because Mass is the best way to do it. We've gotten so caught up in this idea of active participation. We've got to be busy, busy, busy during Mass. And we've got to understand everything. And we've got to be moving and singing and all that. And I think it's great. We need that. But sometimes it's nice just to be, to be in Mass and to receive. Let the Lord... Not, we bring stuff, yeah, it's important, we bring our gift, but we also have to receive, to be there, to contemplate. And particularly, what do you receive in Mass, the Eucharist? You want to take practice being receptive? Receive the Eucharist. You're receiving Jesus into your life, and ask Him to expand your heart, to pour the Spirit upon you. So I think there's something in that perfect prayer, Mass is that perfect prayer. If we understand well, prayer is more about being with than about doing and more about receiving than giving, then Mass is the perfect prayer. And guess what? It's going to be more about being with the Lord and receiving than about giving. But so often we get so distracted and uh, I don't, they're singing Latin, I don't understand it. No, just soak it in. Let the Lord minister to you. You don't need to understand everything. It's not in here. It's in here. And so I want to make a conclusion here. And last yesterday I, I talked about the, St. Therese talking about prayer as the gaze, that simple look. And so we would think, well, okay, that's being with the Lord. You're looking at Him. But when you are looking at something, it could be your, your beloved's eyes, it could be the sunset, it could be whatever, you're active, you're there, you're engaged, but you're receiving. You're letting that beauty imprint itself on your soul, imprint itself on your life. So even in the gaze, there's a receptivity, the way the light comes into your eyes. And that's what transforms you. Ah, oh, that beautiful sunlight. Oh, the person I love. Oh, whatever it is. And it affects you, not so much in the head, but right here. And that's that receptivity. We're going to revisit that tomorrow about what does it mean to be looked at? Now here, because there's a, a sort of the dimension, because we're not just looking at the sun, we're looking at Jesus. We're going to allow ourselves to be looked at. So that's a little hint of what's coming tomorrow. 
Again, sorry I'm all over the place, but hopefully the pieces will come together tomorrow. Where I, I like to present an idea that, I'll be honest, I've been working and praying about and working through, and, and, and I, I do this a lot in direction. I'm not a, I'm, I don't have the stigmata, I can't read your soul. But an idea that I think is so important that we don't think about that clears up some confusion and potentially can really help us uh, go to the depths of what prayer is and ultimately what heaven will be. So let's close with a glory be. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And so I'll, uh, I'll give you the final blessing, but um, Father Brady wanted to be receptive, so he's in the back there. So I will give the final blessing, and then again, many of you took the envelopes last night, there's the basket there, it, go, it is your gift, Father Brady's gift to the parish, and you've been so good receiving it, but if you want to in your Thanksgiving give back and help the parish, uh, then, hey, look, it's the conversation, it's the heart-to-heart, core-core, we love it, it's beautiful. Um, so be sure to do that and come back tomorrow, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that, that, that heart-to-heart. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so I'll be hanging out here for a little bit. If you want to talk to me, uh, say how, how your day was going. Uh, if not, we'll see you back tomorrow.